This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad. How's things with you? Yes, good, thank you. Busy day at Luton on Saturday, of course, with uh, Blackbird Rovers, but... A uh, bit more of a relaxed day today, and I've just demolished a Sunday dinner made by my fiance, which was absolutely bloody gorgeous. So, if I fall asleep during this podcast recording, I do apologise, but I'm also not that sorry either. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a good day. What about yourself? Not bad, working away and uh, trying to contend with the fact that Man United haven't got a game for 16 days and uh, struggling content wise. It's uh, going to be a great international break. I can already feel it. Brilliant. I've booked a week off during the international break, so I'm not going to so, have to deal with it. So have I as well. Week after next, I'm off for a week. So we're both only abandoned. A few more, only a few yeah. more days of putting up with it. But Man United is yeah. being called off today, Sunday, has really uh, made life difficult for us. Two no, uh, two sinking no, ships during the international break, and we've both we've both dived straight off them at the first sign of trouble. We have cowards. I like it. Uh, as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you to our sponsors at Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast again this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the pod. As always, and on today's podcast, we're going to be dissecting, of course, the weekend action and the very latest managerial movements. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Well, George, it feels like there's only really one place to start, and that's the game that involved two managers that were sacked this week. Obviously, one of them today, as we record on Sunday, in Steve Morrison leaving Cardiff City and Danny Schofield getting the boot from Huddersfield Town earlier in the week. We'll come to the game later, but I think first we'll start with the, the breaking news that Cardiff are part of company with Steve Morrison. I think it's an absolutely shocking decision, if I'm being completely honest. With the team in 18th, I just don't understand. They, they had a massive summer overhaul. What were the owners going into this season expecting if... They've got rid of him in 18th, where I actually think some of the performances have probably deserved more than they've actually got. I don't think they've been awful at all. I think they look like a mid-table side, probably lower half mid-table side. That's where I predicted them in my 1-24s. That's where you predicted them in the 1-24s. They're about par for the course. And all whilst doing it, they're bedding in a new team, new players, a more exciting brand of football. You know, I can't really think of a better style of football that Cardiff City fans have seen for a while, really, when you think of the manager they've had. Neil Warnock, obviously incredibly successful, but it was hardly free-flowing football. Neil Harris, the same. Um, Mick McCarthy, obviously, completely not the case. So, I've just really... I don't understand. I don't know who's on the who's on the market that Cardiff City think they can attract that's a better proposition than Steve Morrison. And... If you were going to sack him, why did you give him the summer? Why let him completely shape and rebuild the squad with 15-odd signings or however many it ended up with in the end? I just don't understand it. I think it's a really, really daft short-term decision. And I don't know who Cardiff City are going to get in that's a better fit for the club. He looked like he'd got a real grip hold of Cardiff City. He looked like he got respect from the players. He was trying to bring through a, a younger group. He's done a lot for the young players at that club. He's brought in some good players that have signed for him. You know, the likes of Romain Sawyers, Callum Robinson, who are senior season championship players. They've signed to play for Steve Morrison. I, don't, I just don't understand it. And I, it left me really baffled. And I would, you know, I, I thought Cardiff would be a lower mid-table side. They've had a massive overhaul. They've got to rebuild before they can start challenging the top half of the table. And that's where they are. And it's only 10 games in after such a massive overhaul. So I just don't get it. It's a, it's a very odd decision for me. Absolutely enormous rebuild in the summer, wasn't it? I mean, I've got the list of signings that they made in front of me now. And it's 
remarkable just how many players he was allowed to bring in, isn't it? Really, when you when you look at the list, it's it's a really detailed, fast list in permanent signs and a few low knees as well in there. And the fact that you know he was allowed to bring in experienced championship talent. When you look at the likes of O'Dowder, Sawyer's, um, uh, Callum Robinson, Marlon Romeo, upcoming talent as well in Ebu Adams. You know, he got a good blend there, I thought, and he was on the way to building a relatively competitive squad that, you know, was going to compete for Cardiff, you know, in the region of what? I don't know. Halfway to, I don't know, 18th in the table. And I think that would be a respective achievement for Cardiff this year. I don't think they'd be in danger of going down, but I never expect them to be pushing for the top six either. So I don't really know what the owners' ambitions are and what their thinking can be achieved because while the recruitment's been good, it's certainly not one of the, the best squads in the Championship. I don't mean that with any disrespect, but it isn't. So Steve Morrison, you know, he was going to need this summer to build his own vision and put things in place. They let go of a lot of players in the summer in terms of experienced players that have been there for a long time. Aidan Flynn, uh, Josh Murphy, Marlon Pike, James Collins, Isaac Purcell, Will Vaux. There were so many that they let go complete reset and you thought yeah he's going to need a little bit of time to adjust and 10 games into the season which is the point where most people make a judgment of how a season is going to go they've decided to to pull the trigger which when you compare it to say West Bromwich Albion and Middlesbrough we'll talk about a little later on Cardiff have got more points than both of those that they weren't expected to achieve what those two were predicted to achieve at the start of this season so in that respect they've not had the worst possible start Cardiff I mean they've beaten Norwich they got a really good win at Middlesbrough away from home in midweek. And all of a sudden, one defeat here. And that spelt the end for Steve Morrison. So it makes me wonder if any disagreements have been rumbling in the background or anything like that. Was it a pre-planned move regardless of the result on Saturday at Huddersfield? I don't know. So really, really strange situation for me. And as we've as we've said, there's nobody that you think out that's available at the minute that is going to go in there and you know, be a realistic option for Cardiff. I mean, I'm just looking at the latest odds now. Nathan Jones is the favourite. I really can't see him leaving Luton. I know he's left no Luton to go to Stoke, but him and Luton have got that perfect connection where, you know, it works. That's probably just, he's up there probably because he's Welsh. It's probably that little bit of connection of it. Then other names are, you know, their ex-Cardiff players, Mark Hudson, Craig Bellamy, Sol Bamber, and Neil Warnock's on the list. He says he's retired. Will he go come out of it again? I don't think he will personally. Then Sean Dyche is on the list. That's just a complete non-start for me. Tony Pulis is there. And then you go down the list a little bit more. And the one that I think is available that could be a realistic fit, not necessarily one that Cardiff fans would want, but I, I think they could do far worse, is Lee Bowyer. He's in the mix currently at 16-1 to 1 with the bookies. So for me, I think he, in terms of the managers that you know don't currently have a job, He's probably the most realistic fit, but I just I don't understand it in the sense that they've recruited so many new faces in the summer to build a squad seemingly to Steve, uh, to Steve Morrison's vision, to what he wants, and they've pulled the trigger so quickly. Really, it's, it's kind of similar to what Chelsea did with Thomas Tuchel almost two weeks ago. It allowed him in the summer, brought in the players he wants. Obviously, Chelsea spent far superior money compared to the Cardiff, but it's similar in terms of, you know, he's been allowed to build a squad, then within three weeks or so of the window shutting, Bye bye. It's it's really really strange, and to me, it, it makes very little sense because as I say for what their respective ambitions are this season. In my opinion, of you know competing probably mid to bottom half, I, I don't see really what's gone that wrong so far. Yeah, completely bonkers. On the other scale, other end of the scale, Huddersfield, of course, part of company with Danny Schofield this week after eight games before the win over Cardiff at the weekend. I, on, on the contrary to the, the Steve Morrison decision, I totally understand why this one's happened. I lay, blame very little, you know, I lay very little of the blame with Danny Schofield. I think the board have absolutely caught this up. I don't think there's any way other way of putting it. The warning signs were there from the first game that pretty much everyone watched against Burnley. He's had players sold from underneath him, inadequate replacements in terms of like-for-like -like championship talent. A massive overachievement last season when where they've had a nine and a half out of ten season under uh, Carlos Corbram. He should never have got that job, and the board gave put him you know threw him threw him in at the deep end, 
took away his life jacket in Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo and didn't give him a replacement. And it was just un- unambitious. And I said, I, I, this is not me saying I told you so, but I said this in the summer. I did. This was the exact point I made when he was in, appointed. They could have gone out. The, the Huddersfield Town stock as a football club was never going to get higher than it was in the summer. Finishing third, good players. They went unambitious. They're now in a relegation zone. They will not be able to attract the same level of candidate now as they could have in the summer to replace Carlos Cobra. And the board has to take all the blame for this failure, in my opinion. It was a bad appointment. It never looked right. They didn't recruit well in the summer. And, you know, I'm not sure who will come in there. I, if I was them, and I've, I've said it a few times, I'd throw the kitchen sink at Liam Manning because I think he's the sort of person that could come in under the director of football, under the um, under the philosophies that Huddersfield hold important when they're recruiting. And I think that he would be a great fit. Obviously, David Wagner is the favourite. I know he's a, he's a Huddersfield Town legend for taking them up, but his record has been pretty awful since he left the club with Schalke and Young Boys. It's not been a good time for him. So if he hadn't got Huddersfield Town promoted, I think fans would be outraged at the thought of him coming in, to be quite honest, if you changed his name. Um, but what obviously has helped them is the fact that they got a good win at the weekend. Jordan Rhodes with the goal. They were the better side. Went back to, to a 4-2-3-1 with, with Michael Hellick coming in. Etienne Kamara earning rave reviews in central midfield on his debut. And obviously a, a, a Lee Nichols special saving from the spot against uh, Callum Robinson. Much needed clean sheet. And from that point of view, um, a really good result at the weekend that will just help lift the doom and gloom on a difficult couple of weeks. But for me, I think the board have got, they've got to get this one right because in fairness, I, I criticised them when they got rid of Cowley and brought in Corberan. That one worked. I criticised them for bringing in Schofield um, when Corberan went. So I guess we're one all on that score, but just bonkers to, to have given him that job in the first place. So the board take all the blame for me on this one. Couldn't agree more. Definitely. They have to take the blame. I mean, last season was a fairy tale story wasn't it nobody in the wildest dreams expects them to achieve what they did and that automatically increased the pressure and deservedly so and rightfully so it had to go up obviously losing Corbran as I said they lost the star asset you can talk about O'Brien you can talk about Toffolo both going to forest but losing Carlos Corbran was the biggest hammer blow to them in the summer and obviously he left only a few weeks before the season started Schofield came in instantly and you could tell from the outset that it was just the wrong move because he'd got absolutely no sort of managerial experience. It was just a really, really bizarre move and it's it's backfired miserably, hasn't it? It's left them in a real state. And the question is, where do they go from here? And just talk about the game first on Saturday. It seemed from the highlights I've seen, they were much better, much improved, back to basics. Everybody seemed to know the roles and understand what was asked of them. Um, big credit to Jordan Rose thought he took that goal really really well it was a really good finish from him but where do they go from here that is the question similarly to Cardiff I don't think there's anybody that's out of work at the minute that you look at and think is a you know an exciting prospect and a realistic one obviously the biggest name who's out of work at the minute is Sean Dyche it's just a complete non-starter he is not going to go to Huddersfield Town I don't mean that with any disrespect he, he is going to try and hold out, I would imagine, as long as possible for a Premier League job. And rightfully so, based on what he's achieved in recent years. But there's been murmurs of Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth, young, upcoming manager. I'm just not quite sure if it's too big a risk. David Wagner, obviously, his status with Huddersfield of the past would be one that would get the fans on side. They would, they would be excited by that appointment. There's no doubt about that. But aside from that, there's nothing that really stands out on the list that I look at and think, yeah, they'd be a really good fit. I mean, other ones on the list, Michael Carrick, Paul Warren, I really can't see him leaving Rotherham United, that's for sure. Gary Rowett's also on there, can't see him leaving Millwall. So it's really interesting to see where Huddersfield would go from here. And the good thing for them is now they've got a fortnight before the season resumes with the international break to try and work out what they're going to do hold interviews and try and get an appointment made. But ideally, in that sense, you want to try and get it done this week. So when the players 
report for training a week on Monday, sort of thing, the, the 26th, 25th, 26th, whatever it'll be. They've got that full week ahead of the season resuming to get to know their roles, get to know the new manager. So ideally, Huddersfield, they did pull the trigger at the right time. So obviously, they've now got to really act quite fast to get things settled again quite quickly. But it's just a case of they made a huge mistake in going for Schofield. He should never have got the job. He only got it because of his status as a player at Huddersfield. Uh, and unfortunately for him, it, it's tartened his reputation a little bit. But I think the fans deep down do feel sorry for him because they know it was the wrong move. And it didn't help that obviously he'd inherited a squad that had done so well last year and there was pressure from the off, lost key players. So in that sense, he was thrown in at the deep end, to be fair to the guy. But it was just all wrong. And, you know, it, it, after eight games, he got the axe. And, and to be fair, it was the right decision. No, we're all forgiving managers time. But I think it was one that you could see was not going to work. No, I totally agree. I, I don't blame Huddersfield for the decision. I blame them for the process in which they put him in charge in the first place. Moving on, George, we'll look at the league leaders now. Sheffield United t- still at the top of the table. Brilliant start to the season for them after a 2-0 victory at Preston North End, following on from a very dramatic win against Swansea City in midweek. And I think this week just showed why Sheffield United for me, certainly looked the, the strongest team in the division so far. I know that's hardly a, a groundbreaking bit of analysis given the top of the league, but I had high hopes for the Sheffield United squad before the start of the season. They were then recruited even better um, after, obviously, we did our 1-24s. to And I think the depth of the squad really showed this week. Reda Kadra and Rian Brewster setting up uh, and combining for the winner at Swansea in the 90th minute. Here at Deepdale, it was Illiman and Jai and Ollie McBurney on target. And They've just got so much quality in that squad. They're looking a little bit imperious. Every single position looks strong. And you've got to consider, which I think a lot of people have probably not realised, that Paul Heckingbottom's got a lot of injuries. Kieran Clark's not barely played for them so far. Jamal, uh, not Jamal Lowe. Max Lowe's injured. Ender Stevens is injured. Osborne's injured. Bogle's injured. Uh, Flex out injured. They've got so many injuries. And yet, because that squad is so deep, you've still got McAtee and Kadru on the bench at the weekend, Tommy Doyle on the bench. They, they still look brilliant. And just think how strong they're going to be when those other players come back. So I think the the record, as we know, at Bramall Lane under Paul Heckingbottom has been absolutely fantastic. And I think we've always said if they can sort the away form, even you know to within 80% of where the home form is, they'll go up, in my opinion. And for me, they've been far the best side. Really big statement to win two two toughish games away from home this week in the championship. And I've no doubt they'll continue the home form. And if they can pick up more points on the road, they, they will definitely be one to stop at the top of the championship table. Yeah, I mean, where to start? They really are laying down a marker. And to me, they're the team to beat now. They are the team to catch. They look the most complete. They look the most comfortable and they look the most professional. And the thing that really stands out for me is the way they are chalking up these clean sheets very, very quickly. This is the remarkable thing. That was on Saturday at Preston. That was a fourth successive clean sheet. And they've now only conceded one goal in the last six games. And all the injuries are in defence. That is the sign of a team that can win league titles. If you can get your defence like that, then you're on to something. And Paul Heckingbottom, I know I've said it many times over what the last, how long has been in charge now? Ten months he just continues to defy expectations. The way that Sheffield United were criticised for appointing him as their manager when Slavica Djukanovic left, for me, he's absolutely excelled expectations by a country mile. It's unbelievable what he's done and the way individual players have blossomed under him and not least Dillerman and Jai. I mean, the way he took that goal on Saturday was absolutely superb. A superb finish. And that young man is really a star to watch and there's many youngsters that are really becoming household names in the Championship quite quickly this year, and he's one of them. But that win, obviously, at Preston on Saturday, a game they were expected to win. I know I went for Preston by shock on last over last week, but let's be honest, with the way Preston been struggling for goals, struggling at home, the Blades were always favourites to win that one. And the fact that they've now beaten Hull away, Swansea away and Preston away in three successive league games without conceding, that's a pretty good effort. That really is. So, for me, I think the base of it for Sheffield United is the fact that they've got such a strong base to keep these clean sheets. And if you can do that, 
you're going to get promoted. It's nine games unbeaten now, not lost since losing to Watford. They've been at the top now for four consecutive game weeks. They're looking really, really good. And I think the fact that, like you've said, they've still got so many injuries and so many players to come back, it's only going to fuel the confidence that they can, you know, potentially run away with this league this year. I know 10 games in, it's still relatively early, but we always say 10 games is the point where you can make a judgment of how your season is going to go. And based on what I'm seeing at the minute, I think Sheffield United are in with a really good chance of winning the championship title this season. So for me, when you look ahead to their next few games after the international break, they've got Birmingham at home, QPR at home, Stoke away, Blackpool at home. I mean, they're four games that they could realistically win the lot. They really could, and we know what that record is like at Bramall Lane. The fact they've got two home games to restart the season with after the break, he's just going to keep fueling the confidence. And I'll tell you what, that game on the 22nd of October, I know they've got another five to play for then. 22nd, they play Norwich at Bramall Lane. That could be a really interesting one. But Paul Heckingbottom, for me, doing an absolutely sterling job, playing some really good football. They've got good individuals, but it's that defensive defensive numbers that for me just make really, really impressive viewing. Not the start that Preston hoped for on the opposite uh, end. You could say that. It's been a bit oh. weird. I think weird is the word. It is. Only two three goals wins. scored. Yeah, two wins, two defeats, six draws. For the three goals they've scored is the joint lowest in championship history after the 10-game mark. They've just got to find a way to get more goals into that team and it's surprising the, because Ryan Lowe's teams are set up to attack. You know, he's got the wing backs that he wanted in the summer. Well, he got he's got wing backs that work, whether they're the ones he wanted. I think he would have liked a different right wing back rather than playing Brad Potts there. But Robbie Brady was his signing. Clearly Troy Parrott hasn't quite hit the mark. I think he's played quite well, as daft as that sounds. Certainly in the earlier weeks, you know, his individual XG is through the roof and surely he's due a goal just you know, due down to variance as much as anything. But it's certainly been a struggle for Preston in these early weeks. It's been bizarre. Someone you fancy quite a lot as well. They were. They really were. And, you know, when you looked at those first few results and even though they weren't scoring, they weren't losing, you thought it will eventually click. If they're not losing, surely it will click. But I've just never known a situation like it. And we're talking about there, they've only scored three. The mental thing is they've only conceded four. It's absolutely bizarre. It's really, really weird. I don't think it's ever been, you know, sort of anything like this before. But the worrying thing is now, they've now gone three games without a win, three games without a clean sheet. That clean sheet runner's gone. And they've been three successive home games. And they've not won one of them. They're yet to win at home this season. So it's clear that Ryan Lowe has got a problem in scoring goals in this team. They just, they can't score. Emil Reese last season was obviously a constant threat. It, that is threatening to become a flash in the pan, that one season wonder. I think he's only got one so far this season. So it's just a bizarre situation. It's, it's just, I think weird is the word. It's really, really strange, but he's got to try and sort something out, Ryan Lowe, sooner rather than later, because the players overall, he's got a decent squad to work with. And if you can keep seven clean sheets in a row, like they did at the start of the season, you know, you've got a good base at one end of the pitch, so it's just making it click at the other end. But the fans are going to start to turn. It's not a case of, I don't think, performances necessarily being really, really poor. It's just out of frustration, the sense that, is it going to change? Because a pattern is definitely emerging. And when you're not scoring goals, fans are going to get annoyed and they're going to get angry. I mean, three goals in 10 games. It's horrendous, isn't it, really? It's an absolutely horrendous return. And... Unbelievably, <laughs> it's weird they scored three goals, but they're somehow not in the bottom three. They're well clear of it, the 15th. So it's it's just unique. It's bizarre. But for Ryan Lowe, he has got to make the very most of this international break on the train round. They have to win that next game for me when they resume. They've got to win it. They need some goals. Yeah, I think one of those goals has come at Deepdale as well and two on the road. So fans yeah, won't be that Jordan impressed story with that against either. Burnley. Yep. Uh, Swansea City 3, Hull City nil. probably the biggest scoreline of the weekend Hull are in a right mess aren't they we'll start with Swansea given they were, they were the winners and obviously deserve credit now one defeat in four for them completely dominant um, but my god were they helped some calamitous defending from Hull um, and they've been they've been woeful defensively so far this season Hull City 
21 goals conceded in their first 10 games, which is the worst by some distance as well. Given the money that was spent in the summer, we we know that the owner, Ajun Elagili, is not someone lacking Bob Bob ambition. Brunner. Thank you. Uh, he's someone lacking ambition, is he? So I've got to say, Shotter Abdelazzi is under real pressure right now and I've never been sold on him since he came into the club. I have to say, last season they couldn't win at home, although they were very good away. This season they've been all right at home, but they're just leaking so many goals and they've got a decent back four there. Louis Coyle, Figueredo, Greaves and Elder was the back four on uh, Saturday. And it should be performing better. And it goes back to what I was saying about the players in front of that team as well and do they have the real desire to work for Hull City, some of these bigger names they brought in? You know, for the, all the quality Seri has on the ball and Tufan, who's got great pedigree, have they got the legs to play in the Championship regularly and the desire to play for Hull City? I, I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced from the start. I had them 19th, I think, in my 1-24s to or 18th. And everyone else I listened to and, and well-respected people who cover the division had them in the top sort of half. And I didn't see it. And, I, you know, they could well finish there. This is not me cashing my chips in this early on the I told you so. Hull City stance. But I'm not shocked remotely by this start. I think they've got goals in the team, but defensively they've been so, so bad. I mean, that second goal was just bonkers. I don't, I've watched it about, <laughs> genuinely watched it about 120 times. Most of those sat at Kenilworth Road waiting for kickoff. And I just, I just don't know what to make of it. Like Nathan Baxter, sort of slide tackles Figueredo, who dives, thinking it must be an opposition player, and they just roll it into the back of the net. Absolutely bonkers. And I think Alvalade should be under pressure. I do because I think, I don't think he's going to take Hull City forward. And I was never convinced of that in the summer before the summer break when they've invested the sort of money they have too. I think there's probably better options out there that Avalanche could get in that could take this squad further and do more with it, in my opinion. Well, I certainly agree. And, you know, when we had the first, what, four or five weeks of the season in August when the games were coming thick and fast, Hull finished that period third in the table. They had a decent start. Obviously, they beat Norwich, beat Bristol City, got a point at Burnley away from home. And it was a fantastic start, but... Since the end of August and that defeat to QPR, the wheels have come off. It's four defeats in a row. They've conceded 11 goals in that time and they've scored just one. So it's it's clear that, you know, they, they are in a bit of trouble at the minute. And I think the thing for Hull is that, obviously, you've got to remember it, it was a complete reset in the summer. They obviously brought in a large pool of players, but there were so many foreign imports that have got to adapt to the championship. And obviously... You've got to credit some of the signings in, for example, Estupinan, the leading scorer in the division so far. So you can't say he's been a failure, no, things like that. But you've got to remember that the championship and the fact that they've signed, you know, quite a few big names from abroad, things like that, such as Tufan. The championship is not necessarily a league where these flair players, these creative luxury players, construct their stuff and get away with it because it requires that physical demand, that aggressiveness you need. The cut and thrust of the championship can, you know, take its toll on players that have not experienced it before. And I think for Hull at the minute, they they are experiencing that. And I think, if anything, the chairman obviously drafted a lot of players in from his native Turkey. He seems to have signed a lot of players that are too similar to fit in certain positions where it's not quite going to work. And I think the defeat to Swansea. The manner of those goals, certainly the second one, the third one wasn't much better. The third one wasn't much better, yeah. It was an absolute nightmare. It was a car crash. And I mean, that, that I mean that second goal, I mean, they could try and replicate that another hundred times and they'd never do it again. But I'd love what to see the hell were they doing? I've never seen anything like it. I literally couldn't believe it. I was going to say, I, I can't remember it. a goal as bad. And then literally remember literally two weeks ago, the goal that uh, Reading scored against Stoke. Oh, no, no, no. That that was nowhere near as bad. No, it Definitely wasn't as not. bad, but my point was I was going to say, I can't remember his goal that's anywhere near as bad. And literally, like, two weeks ago, there was a goal that no. was pretty awful. This was on another level. This was a whole new level. I mean, the fact that he, you know, misses the ball, then he falls over it, and then the goalkeeper <laughs> wipes him out. That deserves clown music on that one. But let's be honest, it, it's not been good for, for Hull in recent weeks. I mean, 
Yeah, you can take into account a couple of the opponents they faced in the fact that QPR are pretty good at home, Sheffield United have been flying. But the fact they've only scored one goal in four games, that's a worry. And let's not forget, prior to this run, they conceded five at West Brom as well. They've conceded 21 times already in, in 10 games. So they're averaging more than two goals a game, just over conceded. They've only kept one clean sheet, and that was against Preston. So no real surprise there. But um, yeah, he, he's not good for Avalazzi at the minute. And I think to me, and the fact that the owner you know, obviously spent a fair bit of money in the summer, he could be under a little bit of pressure if he doesn't turn this round quite quickly, I think. And all of a sudden, we're seeing quite a few championship managers that, you know, they could be under pressure if things don't start to improve after the international break. There are a few that I think are venturing towards treading on very, very thin ice, and he's one of them. I would like that clip of the second goal. I want the uh, the, the music where it's either September or Lean On Me, and then it goes all weird where they like, sing it really badly. I want that that music played over the top of that goal because that there you go. is the there's perfect your, summation. There you of, go. There's your, there's your task for your week after in the international break. I won't be doing that. Someone else can do that who's far more technologically advanced than, than, than I am. Um, we'll find somebody. If anybody can do it for us, we're, we're all ears. Yeah. Make for Swansea, on they, they obviously had to uh, take advantage of, of Hull City's sloppy defending. <laughs> Liam, uh, Ryan Manning getting plenty of no, Ryan Manning getting plenty of plaudits at left wing back, played really well. And Ollie Cooper as well, who's getting plenty of praise in attack. Young Academy graduate who's come come in recently, keeping um, Michael Obafemi on the bench at the moment. He's done really well, pressing really hard. One that's come through the academy. And I know a lot of Swansea fans are, are enjoying his breakthrough into the into the academy, for, uh, from the academy into the first team. So credit to Russell Martin. He obviously had a very difficult start. They went a little bit more pragmatic in recent weeks. And they're starting slowly to turn things around. So, big performance from them and a, a very good win. Burnley 2, Bristol City 1. Fourth at the break for Burnley. And I have to say, I feel like Burnley are a side that I could really see kicking on after the international break. I think they have been... So, I really do think Burnley are a team I could see, you know, having a, a an eight wins out of ten for the in the next ten games. I think they will get better and better the more they play. I, I do feel they've won four, they've drawn five, only lost one. And I do just feel that most of the games they've drawn, of which I think we've all seen plenty given how often they've been on Sky Sports, I feel like they've been more likely of winning those games than, than losing them in truth. So it's a new group. There was a big overhaul in the summer. And I do feel like Vincent Company will use the break to get a few plays back. Scott Twine's not had a kick yet this season. He's been out injured. And having more goal scorers, more time to work on the training field, more cohesion in the team. I really do think Burnley will be a side that can compete for automatic promotion. And it wouldn't shock me if they go in eight, win eight out of the next 10 games, if I'm being honest, because I think it's a really steady start given given the overhaul in the summer. And I think the more they play, the better they will get. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think realistically, they could quite easily still be sitting here and beaten, to be fair, because the game when they lost to Watford 1-0, if it wasn't for the heroics of Daniel Backman that night, they would have got at least a point from that game. So the Vincent Company could still be sitting here unbeaten as Burnley boss, to be fair. But overall, I think they've had a really, really good start. I think they've been encouraging. I think they've played some really nice on the front foot stuff. They've looked, you know, they've looked, they've looked confident and they've played with a bit of a swagger at times. And obviously, they've they've shown that they have got the ability to carve teams apart. Obviously, put five past Wigan. So. Burnley, to me, look a, look a decent side. And like you said, Scott Twine, we've not even seen anything in him other than about three or four minutes against Huddersfield on the opening night. So for them, the fact that he's going to come back and if he can get anywhere close to what he did for MK Dons last season, that's going to really add another another feather to Vincent Company's cap. And look at the table now. Only Sheffield United and Bristol City have scored more goals than Burnley already. So that is one good thing. The only thing for Burnley is the fact that they're struggling for clean sheets a little bit. I think that's my biggest concern. They don't look overly convincing at the back. They've only kept two clean sheets in the first 10, which when you compare to, say, Sheffield United or another automatic promotion contender, that is where there's a little bit of a problem. But if you're not losing games and you're conceding goals, then at the other end, you're doing something right. So I think Vincent Company can be very, very pleased with how the first 10 games have gone. And I think when you look at it, you see the teams that they've played. They've played the likes of West Brom, who obviously are expected to be better than they currently are on the table. 
They've played Luton, who are never easy. They've played Watford. They've played a real wide variety. And arguably, they've probably been the better side in all of them. But just come unstuck in a few in, when there's been a few draws. So I think Vincent Company can be really pleased, obviously. Like so many other clubs in the summer, big turnover of players, trying to implement a completely new style. I just think the only thing, my concern for Burnley, is the fact they just look a little bit uneasy at the back. So that's where they've got to improve. But it's still early days. They're still adjusting to methods and things like that. But, I mean, 10 games in, what are they, third in, uh, fourth in the league? 17 points racked up. It's a pretty solid start for a new for a new manager, managing England for the first time. So I think he can be pleased with how things are going. International break potentially could come at a good time, just to allow him a little bit more time on the training ground without a relentless run of games, recharge the batteries, go again. But uh, I'm with you. I think they've genuinely... So far, doing enough to stake a claim for the automatic promotion race. Been impressed. Been like you say, a lot more positives than negatives, without a doubt. And one last thing, Jay Rodriguez as well. He's finding the net really consistently. Five and seven for him. He only scored three in the last two league seasons combined. So he's certainly been reborn. And we did wonder a little bit about Burnley, didn't we? Where the goals going to come from for a consistent source? But you know, at this at this level, he's always been pretty ruthless. So good to see him back at his best because Jay Rodriguez, you know. There is a good player in there. I've always liked him, and Vincent Company certainly getting a tune out of him. So once Twine's back, you know they've got some good firepower there, and things should be looking up for them. They've had a good start, very solid. Slightly hot take or controversial opinion: I think Burnley will still finish the highest of the three relegated teams. I think they'll finish above Norwich based on the first ten games, despite Norwich having twenty points. Um, couple of uh, well, one two, another two one game. Millwall beating Blackpool. Uh, at the Den, back-to-back, uh, sorry, not back-to-back, back-to-winning ways after a 2-0 defeat to QPR in midweek where they conceded some really sloppy goals, some very un-Millwall-like goals, particularly that second one that Johansson scored from, uh, a quick corner routine. Better against the Seasiders, Benekafobi making a, a, a good difference and a good finish to win the game. I like the look of the team. I think it's balanced. I've always felt quite good about Millwall this season, probably more so than the results have justified. But I think the, the team, you look at the team, I think it looks balanced with Styles and Mitchell in midfield, Shackleton and Malone giving the whip from wing back and then a choice of whatever you want up front. They went with Afobi, Fleming and Honeyman in behind. Um, you've also got Bradshaw, Tyler Bury, plenty of options for Gary Rowerton. I think that's good for them when they're playing Saturday, Tuesday. As I've said already on the pod this season, I think it's the best squad that they've had under his regime. And... I'm hoping we'll see them kick on a little bit more to justify my quite bullish stance on them in 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 the one to twenty fours. I'm hoping we'll see them kick off after the kick on after the international break. Yeah, they've had a you know they've had a little bit of an indifferent start, and they? they've been a bit up and a bit down at times. And you just get the sense that they desperately needed that win on Saturday against Blackpool because obviously they'd lost four of the the last five going into that, and the goal scoring goals have been a big issue. So. You know, that was a game that they really need to win. They got the win. And I am, though, going to go back to my old criticism of Millwall. It's that away form that worries me. They are good at home. And we obviously, we've seen that so far. Obviously, they did lose to QPR in the week last week. But aside from that, they've been pretty good at home so far. But it's away from home where they're really struggling. They've only picked up a point on the road so far this season. And that is a problem for Gary Rowett that he's got to address. Because like you say, he's got the squad there that, you know... Is you know for the championship now he's he's a pretty solid squad for what they're what they're expected to achieve, so that's where the problem lies. So for me, home form has never been an issue in Millwall. We know that it's always been pretty good. It's just a case of can they replicate it on the road because we know the Den is a difficult place to go. It's renowned. It's it's a kind of a it's a bit of a trademark, isn't it, for Millwall that they're always solid at home, difficult place to go. The Den, but away from home. They're just not good enough. That is the problem and that's the concern for me. But for Saturday's win over Blackpool, you know, they got the job done. Obviously, Blackpool got back into it with uh, Charlie Patino's goal and Afobe's popped up with the winner. He needed that as well on the personal level. He's not had the best of starts to the season after coming back to the club permanently. So he's got to try and kick on now and prove himself. But overall, 10 games in, 13th place, 13 points. It's about where I expected Millwall to be in. Obviously, you thought I was a little bit harsh at the the uh, prediction stage when we did our 1-24s. I think I've had them in 14th, I think. But, you know, 
if they can sort that away form out, they should be able to kick on from that. that that's my only criticism, because at home, you've got no concerns with Millwall whatsoever, because you know Black, what you're going to get. Blackpool are a worry for me, since they've lost Josh, Josh Bowler. They're yeah. doing all right. They're doing all right to keep their head above water at the minute, but I do think there's a lack of individual quality in that team. And when you look at the teams that we expected to be down there, like Reading, like Birmingham, I think that those two, for example, have got better squads now than, than Blackpool have. They, I just don't know where the star quality is. Whereas you've got a Zhao, you've got an Ajari or a Tom Ince, you've got a Scott Hogan, you've got a Tahiti Chong. I don't know who is that player for Blackpool now. Even like Rotherham, you you would always have looked at like Obene or Wiles or Barlazer. I'm not really sure where that star quality comes from from Blackpool. So I, I think they could really struggle going into the winter with the, the fixture congestion. They get a few injuries as well. And um, I, I didn't have a great inkling about them before the start of the season. I think I, I put them one place outside the relegation zone in, in 21st. I would probably lean more towards, I think they might finish inside it than, than outside it based on the, the start of the season. And more the transfer window, really. They've not had an awful start, but it just, I'm not sure about them. I have to say that. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I really would, because like as I said at the start of the season, like Huddersfield, they lost the star asset in the manager. And obviously Josh Bowler going at the end of the window, that was another blow for them. But Michael Appleton, I think he's overseen a, a steady start. I think that's probably the right word. It's not been disastrous, but it's not been outstandingly good. But at the same time, aside from that defeat at Millwall, uh, at Millwall, uh, Rotherham in the week, they've not really been thrashed by anybody. So that's a crumb of comfort. They're not being completely outclassed, but at the same time, all three of their victories have only been by a goal to nil. So it does worry me a little bit where the like the creative spark is going to come from. I do agree with you on that. So personally. I I do think they will be in this relegation shake-up this season, but there's a long way to go. But Mike Appleton, for me, is a, he's a very strange manager in one sense that he can be really high up there with him or right down there. Very similar to Lee Johnson in a way. He can have good moments and then really bad ones. But at the end of the day, I think they're in a position where their fans would have, even though they probably didn't want to accept it and believe it, but it's where they probably expect it to be at this stage. So no reason for too much panic. But they've got to find a way to, you know, put the ball in the back of the net a little bit more frequently. But where from? That's the question. Luton Town 2, Blackpool, Blackpool, Blackburn Rovers nil. Um, this was a very bad game of football that I attended at Kenilworth Road. From both sides, particularly in the first half, it was it was just it was turgid, it was very direct, lacking any sort of real quality in their passing. Second half was better, much better from Luton. They really grabbed the game by the, the, the scruff of the neck, whereas Blackburn wilted would be the best way to describe it. And and from Luton's point of view, it was a good victory. They they, they weren't great first half. Neither team were. It was They were both teams being bad rather than either team doing anything good in the first half. In the second half, Luton definitely stepped it up a gear with, with by far the better team and Blackburn just wilted and collapsed, to be honest, but we'll come on to them. First home win of the season for Luton, which is probably a surprise if I... T- if, you know, someone had asked me or you when Luton would get the first home win. I don't think we'd have said five games in, um, given how strong they were at, at Kenilworth Road last season. But good second half. They pressed really well. In particular, uh, Clark and, and, and Alan Campbell, they really latched onto Blackburn's double pivot in uh, Tyler Morton and, and Lewis Travis. And they pressed really well. Forced mistakes. Won the ball back high up. Carlton Morris then capitalised on a on a... Good cross from the left-hand side to turn his, his sixth goal in six games. He's been a, a really, really good signing for them. I liked him at Barnsley. I thought it was a good bit of business in the summer. And I think a lot of clubs will now look at Carlton Morris as a missed opportunity and thought, yeah, he would have been nice playing up front for us. And he's, he's certainly doing the business for Luton Town right now. Important win for them after the disappointment of getting pegged back against Coventry City. But Nathan Jones will be pleased to go into the international break with with a little bit of momentum. Oh, definitely. And it's been a strange start for Luton because I think the performances have warranted more than what results have suggested at times. And I watched the game about three or four weeks ago when they played Sheffield United and they were the better side that night. They really were. They could have won that game on another day. So, you know, performances have been there for Luton. And when you look at it, I think they've only lost one of the last six games. 
So that tells its own story. They've not had a, you know, they've not had a really, really bad start. But Carlton Morris, he's really stepping up at the minute, isn't he? That's I think it's six goals now in his last seven games. He's looking really sharp. He's got four in three. And when you've got somebody that you can rely on to put the ball in the back of the net, there's a chance that you're going to win a game, game of football. So for, for Luton, it's taken a little bit longer than it would have liked to click. But I think they are starting to move through the gears now. And again, like Huddersfield, there was big expectation on them for what they achieved last season. But I think 11th in the table after, after 10 games... I think that's about where they should be. I think that's a, a, a really solid start. They're only two points off the playoff places. What really can Luton fans complain? I don't think they can. I think that's a, a pretty good start, all things considered. So for Nathan Jones now, I think it's just a case of kicking on. But obviously Luton fans, they're probably going to be a little bit worried about the speculation linking in with the Cardiff job. Whether it comes to anything or not, we shall see. Personally, I don't think it will, but you never know in, in football. But... For Luton, obviously, they put Blackburn to the sword at the weekend. Two really good goals, it must be said as well. I thought Morris took his really well. Burke, obviously, superb finish for his. So, you know, there's reasons to be positive. They've had a little bit of a up-and-down start, but I think overall, no complaints for Luton. 13 points from 10 games. It's a solid return. Yeah, from a Blackburn perspective, so good in midweek against Watford. Best performance of the season. Just no consistency in this team at the minute. Five wins, five defeats. The worry for me is the fact that in three of the defeats away from home, they've been absolutely battered to nil and deserve to lose. Got got thumped at Reading, thumped at Sheffield United, 2-0 defeat at Luton and, and deservedly so. And that second half was a, a really disappointing performance. For me, I, I think they're, they're really lacking in central midfield. Something I've wrote about, written about on Langside this morning. They just... If they're going to play with two central midfielders, which it seems they're going to, whether they play 3-4-3 or whether they play 4-2-3-1, don't think there's a pairing good enough. Lewis Travis has been good, albeit he's been thrusted around into different spots. He's had to play right back for some of the season. I think Tyler Morton's not not wowed me yet. I think his best performance has been off the ball and really we thought they signed him to to be the ball-playing midfielder who could get things ticking. I've not seen that side of his game yet. Buckley's not got his season going yet after a really good pre-season. And then you're looking at Adam Wharton, who's 18, and Jake Garrett, who's yet to start a championship game. I think it was a real oversight not to sign a senior midfielder. I understand why they didn't, because they, they, they've specified they didn't want to block the pathways of Wharton and Garrett. And John Buckley's still a young player as well, albeit a very senior first-team member now. But maybe if you were only going to bring one in, rather than bringing Tyler Morton, a more experienced championship midfielder would have been the better route to go down or personally in my view bring in Tyler Morton but bring in someone else as well who's 26-27 and got some games under the belt let Jake Garrett go on loan for example that would have been a better decision for me and then just finally if they're going to play a 3-4-3 which they have in the last two games they don't have a natural left wing back because I think Harry Pickering is a good left back but he's better defensively than offensively so if they're going to play him in going to play a back three system he should be in the back three should be left centre back they don't have any thrust in that left side if they're going to play with wing-backs. They didn't have any on the right either at the weekend because it was Hayden Carter playing there, who is a centre-back really, or a right-back. Again, the same problem. Callum Britton back from injury, though. He played half an hour and he will be a natural fit on that side. But they haven't got one on the left. So, again, that's another position where if they were going to play a back-five system at any point, they needed a more offensive wing-back in that position. Plenty to build on. It's still a project and uh, seventh place isn't a bad start for Blackburn, but I think just the, the inconsistency is frustrating. But it's a young and new group and, and what we're expecting when you overhaul the squad as badly as they did in the summer. And finally, George, Wigan Athletic nil, Reading 1. Got to credit Paul Ince because his Reading side just keep getting results. And they're not just getting results, there's character in there as well. They were well beaten in midweek against Sunderland, probably the, the goal of the season. Uh, scored against them a lovely flowing move that Jack Clark finished off. And their response is a clean sheet and a, a, a big win away from home against a tough side in, in Wigan that don't lose many at the DW Stadium. We said, we did say at the start of the season that when we're looking at the sort of teams that we thought would get relegated and be in that relegation battle, they had the best individual talent in attack, particularly with with Long, uh, with Lucas Schwau, with Ovi Ajaria. Now, Ajaria and Zhao have not even really played because of injury. But Tom Ince has been absolutely pivotal. Shane Long's been really good. Jeff Hendrick's been decent in midfield as well. 
and the back three looks looks a lot more solid than we thought. Junior Hoylet's someone that's gone under the radar probably as championship neutrals, but Reading fans have been really impressed with him. And Ince looking something like the player that made him one of the best players in the championship probably three or four years ago. He's had a really good start to the season and he's probably working harder than he ever has before. And, it, you know, I think the Reading fans are really, really warming to him, not just as the manager's son, but as a player that is working really hard for the shirt. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a player in there. I mean, you think back to his Blackpool days. He was outstanding at that time, wasn't he? He was superb. He was pretty good for Derby as well. Derby's where I think to, of him at his best. Then he went to Huddersfield and it all kind of unravelled a little bit. Same at Stoke. So it's good to see him getting back to his best. Excellent free kick at the weekend. But for Reading as a collective, I mean, surprise package of the season so far. No doubt about that. Nobody could have foreseen this coming. And I think the thing is that you have to remember that along the way, they've taken a few batterings. Obviously, they got thumped by Rotherham, thumped by Sheffield United, thumped by Sunderland in midweek. But each time they've responded with a victory. So that, to me, suggests there's really good character and belief within the group. And that is something that Paul War, uh, Paul War, Paul Ince, rather, has got to take credit for, for, for what they've achieved. And if, you, if you've got the capability to bounce back from a heavy defeat, like when they lost 4-0 to, to Rotherham, we were pointing the finger, we were laughing at Joe Lumley's exploits that afternoon. They folded it up with three consecutive victories without conceding a goal. Then they lost to Sheffield United. They folded it up with a win over Stoke. They lost to Sunderland then. And they folded it up with a win at Wigan. Another clean sheet. So, it, to me, it suggests that there's real character and real belief within that group of players. So, full credit to Paul Ince. He's, he's doing a marvellous job. Um, and I'll admit, I thought he would be the first manager to be sacked this season. Obviously, that's, uh, that's long since gone wrong. And fully deserved not to be. He's, he's had a remarkable start. They're playing some good stuff. They're fighting for the badge. And I think that's something that Reading fans have missed for a long time. I think they've lacked a, a group of players that are prepared to roll their sleeves up, really dig in and, 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 you know, show a sense of unity and belief and they really want to win. The celebration, for instance, goal at Wigan on Saturday proved that there's a real team spirit in there. And that all extends from the manager and he's done a really good, good job at turning that around. So for Reading to be third in the table after the first 10 games, it's a remarkable effort, it must be said. So... Full credit to them. Surprise package of the season by an absolute country mile. I did not see this coming one little bit. Absolutely. They've been the from well, the, the surprise package, the feel good story of the season, I would say. And uh, fair play to Reading and they've defied a lot of people wrong. And I I think educated opinions still that they, they would be in a relegation scrap. I don't think they'll be knocking on the door of the top six. I think it'll 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 fall away. But nonetheless, if they finish anything above the relegation zone, they've got to say that as a successful season. Yeah, but certainly, you would say that they're certainly on track to do that. Yeah, but at the same time, you always get the sense if this run goes on for a few weeks and then it starts to rapidly unravel, is are they going to pull the trigger on Paul Ince? That's the thing. You just don't know how owners are going to work these days. But I hope not. At the, at the minute, he's defying expectations. And I am pleased for the guy because everybody, myself included, Wrote him off instantly when he got that job. We, I remember, I remember the exact day that I saw it back in March. I messaged you, and your response was something along the lines of, "What the bleep is that all about?" And yeah, I thought the same. But I mean, he's done a terrific job. He kept them up last season, and this season, I mean, yeah, I mean, last year we saw a few surprises. Are we still going to see another one? They're looking really, really good, Reading, and they look confident. And like I said, that spirit and belief to keep coming back from when they've lost games, to follow it up with a win each time, that shows that they've got good strength and character. Absolutely. Five draws in the Championship this weekend. The pick of the bunch at Vicarage Road, a two-all draw at Desmond between Watford and Sunderland. I think, in honesty, I think the least Sunderland deserved was a point. And they looked really dangerous going forward, despite having no Ellis Sims, no, uh, no Ross Stewart. Watford, I obviously saw in midweek against Blackburn. I thought they were awful. The lack of intensity, lack of fight and desire. Um, so they've really not clicked into gear yet. Rob Edwards needs a lot more time to sort this squad out, but it looks quite an ordinary squad outside of Joao Pedro and um, Ismail Assar and, and probably Keenan Davis, you would say as well, when he's up and running, got obviously a goal in this game to open the scoring. But take those three out, and I appreciate that's 
could say that about most teams if you take the strikers out. But in midfield, I don't see anything wow. At the back, I don't see any leadership particularly. Um, interesting to note that they actually switch, switch formation. Watford went with a back four, which is not very Rob Edwards-like. He played a back three religiously with Forest Green and, and has done in every game at the start of this season until now. So I'm intrigued to see how they go in the next 10 games after, after the international break. Norwich won, West Brom won. West Brom still one win in 10, but a better performance after a really bad result to lose 3-2 to Birmingham in midweek at home. Decent point, although I, I take umbrage with Steve Bruce complaining about the equaliser. was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Came off his side and he wasn't offside. So I don't, I don't understand what the issue was. A sign was. of desperation. It did sound like it a little bit, didn't it? Uh, and then there were three nil nils, QPR nil, Stoke nil. I thought Stoke had a really good shout for a penalty in the dying seconds. I think it was Ben Wilmot took down. I think that's a penalty personally, and that would have got Stoke a really good uh, victory away from home, and particularly after QPR beat Millwall so impressively in midweek. Borough nil, Rotherham nil. I ignore Middlesbrough. Rotherham one defeat in nine. We've got to talk about that. They absolutely superb. They. Forget, in fact, I know I said Reading have been the surprise package. I think Rotherham have, in fact, actually. I think they have defied more odds than anyone because I thought this was a weaker squad than last season coming in. Didn't know who was going to score any goals. And they're not just edging the wins at home, which every time Rotherham have come up in the Championship, they've nicked wins at home that have given them a chance and they've been bad away. This season, they are battering teams at home. 4-0 against Reading, 3-0 against Birmingham. Two nil, uh, no, two, um, three two nil against Blackpool. Two, yeah, yeah, three nil against Blackpool in midweek. They are battering teams at home and getting good points away and look good value for them. Paul Warren linked with the Huddersfield job this weekend. I, I don't think he'll go because I think he can probably hold out for a better job. But I think he's a brilliant manager. I think the resources he's got yeah. there to to be producing what he is each season. I, I think he's done absolutely fantastic. The, 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 one defeat in nine is unbelievable. Thing, the biggest thing that I think has impressed me. From Rotherham so far is the fact that they've kept five clean sheets in nine. That to me is the takeaway stat that they've achieved so far. Because you talk about Rotherham in the past in the championship, they've leaked goals left, right, and centre. They look a lot more solid. They look collectively together in the project. And I mean, they got thumped by Sunderland a couple of weeks ago. They responded to that by you know getting a good runner results on the board. And I know you can talk about Middlesbrough not being particularly great at the minute. But for a team like Rotherham, a nil-nil draw at the Riverside, that's a really good result and that could be a valuable point for them. Only criticism is, if I've got to find one, and I hate to say it because they don't really deserve any, just got to find a way to get a win away from home. That's the only thing that I think could let them down. But do they? They keep taking points. We've not won away from home yet. Home form is outstanding. It's absolutely outstanding. I mean, when you've got a, a reliable goal scorer in Richard Wood, you've got a great chance. I mean, what a man, 37 years old, centre-half, scoring goals. I mean, Paul Warren, he's just got such a unity there. and Fair play to him. He's done a terrific job and they look a million times better than the last few times we've seen them at this level. They really do. And fair, fair play to them and long may it continue. Who would have thought that Rotherham, nine games in, would be a point off the playoffs? And I just want to mention very quickly as well, Sunderland, Rotherham, Wigan, 10 games in. All right, Rotherham and Wigan have only played nine, but 10 games to collective. All three teams are operating in the top half of the table. That's really good to see. They've all adapted well, particularly Sunderland, though I must say I really fancied them to get something at Watford at the weekend. I actually backed them to win that game. So, 2 all draw, not the worst result in the world for them. They, they look really good, and Mowbray's had a decent impact there. I still think Rotherham's squad is weaker this season than last. And yet they're doing absolutely yeah. fantastically. So doing very, very full well. Credit, full credit to them. Imagine if they, they kept some of the other players, they'd be, be even better off. And then finally, Birmingham nil, Coventry nil. I think Coventry probably a little bit lucky. Not lucky, but Birmingham certainly the better side. I think in this one had the better chances. Ben Wilson pulled off a really good save to deny Scott Hogan header in the first in the second half. Sorry, but for Coventry at least it's a first clean sheet of the season, so they'll take some solace in that and a decent point. They need to really get their season going after the international yeah. break. But Mark they Robbins do, is, a, I mean, is a very good manager. They've managed to get a couple of away win, uh, a couple of away, a couple of away draws in the last two games at Birmingham and Luton in the weeks. They've stopped the losing run. It's just a way they've got to find it. I know they've got games in hand, but all of a sudden now there's a seven-point gap 
they, it does put a little bit of pressure, but what could work in their favour, they've only played once at home so far this season. That situation hasn't helped at all. But I've seen a few Birmingham fans say if they play like they did in the first half on Saturday, they should be absolutely fine. And I do think eventually it will click. So not too worried, but it needs to be addressed quite quickly. But I think once it clicks, they'll be all right. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod242. A huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure you go and check them out for, for any of your business needs. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.